worthy of attention, striking, worth making note of. You say, it might be easy if your life's going swell. But what about when your life is difficult? What about when there's turbulence all around? Well, what if we took some advice from someone who might be in a worse circumstance than even us? He's chained and in prison in Rome, many believe at this time. And it's our apostle Paul who we just traveled with through the book of Acts. And in Rome, we believe is where he wrote the book of Colossians. And in Colossians, he says, while chained up, I want you to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, body of Christ. At the same time, pray also for us, him and Aristocharchus, that God may open us a door for the word. This guy's in jail. This guy's going through the worst circumstances. And he says, hey, hey, could you guys be praying? I get to use this for the glory of God. What? Shouldn't it start, hey, pray for us. We're having like the worst week. Now we're in prison. I can't take this. Where's God in these moments? I don't even know if I want to be alive. You don't hear any of that. You say, hey, hey, I'm all chained up. I'm in prison. I can't get out there and move around. So would you pray for us that God would open us a door to declare the mystery of Christ on which I'm in prison? That I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He's asking for clarity while he's in prison. I think it's worth listening to this voice when he speaks on how he wants us to behave when the ride is a little turbulent. He says this, make sure, no matter what you do, children of God, you walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. I want you to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, if you're thinking, who are the outsiders? Those who aren't in the family of God. More than anything, I want you to walk in wisdom when you're around them, making the best use of the time. We see this phrase in scripture, making the best use of the time. The idea is to redeem the time. Anybody like to go to the beach? One of the things our family likes to do is go to the basketball hoops, okay? Kind of a family that enjoys achievement and competition and yelling and making fun of each other. We, that, we find that fun, okay? So we get on the basketballs and dad's like, you're all going down, right? And you know, they're all locking in, you know, and we put it in. Well, when I put that, when I hit that, boop, bing, out come the balls, boom, it's on, right? I gotta make the most of the time. We're sweating. Other families like those families, that family has issues. Come on, let's go, sweetheart. Then we see a couple families from church and they're all just like us and we have fun together, right? But, but we redeem the time. We take most of advantage of the time. Now, now our daughter just got dropped off at the school my wife and I both went to, and she found a yearbook in the first week and decided to take pictures of her mom and dad from the yearbook we were in. She thought this was funny. She thought it was hilarious to find pictures. Now, some of you see this picture and realize Rebecca stayed the same, but I actually did once have hair, you see? Now, I mean, it was different, okay? It was, it was, it was odd, but, but I, I once had it, right? And I know this specific picture. There's context to this picture. And I didn't verify this with my wife, so I might pay for this later, okay? But the context of this picture is we had gone away for the summer and we're just coming back in the fall. And I went over to Rebecca's apartment and I had taken the summer to decide if she was the one for me. 
okay? All right, I, I could punch that guy in that picture, okay? And, and, and so I need a little time. Well, so Rebecca's pulling the, I don't know if I like you anymore, but she still liked me, you know, but she had to play like she did. But, but, but she was doing this. So you'll notice in the picture, Becca doesn't have her hands around me. They're just straight down. Huh? I'm happy. And I'm like, all right, tonight I have to win this girl back because I'm an idiot for not hanging out with her all summer. And I just know that picture and it worked out for me. We're married, we have children, it all worked out. But I know the importance of redeeming the time. Oh, I used to clean up my Plymouth Turismo. Oh, baby. Tired by everything because I was going to spend the time with her. Paul says, I want you to be that intent about people on the outside. You're supposed to be so invested in people coming to know Christ that you watch and redeem the time as if it's running out, making the best use of the time, especially when you're with outsiders? I mean, how much does, how much does God want me to love the world? As much as him, who gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. It's as if Paul has such an accurate view of what hell is. He can't waste time here on earth and not sharing the love and the time of God that has been given to him with others. And so he says, we got to walk with wisdom. In Ephesians, he doubles down and says this, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making, there it is, making the best use of the time, redeeming the time. And then he adds this, look at that. Because the days are evil. Child of God, when you sense evil, all the more bear down in how you walk around unbelievers. This isn't the time to drop your guard and be just like the world. This is the time to be, can I say it? Remarkable. How can I walk in wisdom? It sounds so abstract, doesn't it? Okay, everybody, walk in wisdom. Okay, well, I'll walk in wisdom. Here's some of the ways scripture says. People who walk in wisdom, they master their moods. I got this off a pastoral blog that I really enjoy following. He says they master their moods. Are you a master of your moods or do your moods control you? Because guess what? People are watching whether you have a self-control over your moods. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. People who walk in wisdom, they watch their words. They don't carelessly throw out words. Proverbs 10, 19 says, where there are many words, transgression or sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips are wise. If you've ever gone, you know what I want to say right now? And you went, you know what? I'm not going to say it. There you go. That's walking in wisdom. I don't want to have seven meetings after this conversation. So we're just not going to say that, right? They restrain their reactions. Proverbs 19, 11, people with good sense restrain their anger. Have any of you lost to your anger, just lost control of it? They restrain it. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. Scripture says to walk in wisdom carries the mark of self-control. I mean, that's remarkable. And so I put in my notes, it's remarkable, and I'm going I'm to bring this up, remarkable, and I left it blank because I wanted to do something remarkable. Pastor Gabe said, when you write things down, you remember it better. So I thought, how about we get a remarkable pen and I, and I write this down. Remarkable conduct. Remarkable conduct. 
uh, conduct that is so different. It stands out so much that people see it and say, wow, that's not normal. That's remarkable. My daughter, since she's like six or seven years old, there's a sweet lady in her church. If you're watching it today, amen. But she goes out of her way. She's not a woman of great means. But she goes out of her way to give my little girl, at, at seven or eight, a Dairy Queen $5 gift card every birthday. Never forgets. She's never even been over to her house. She just loves her pastor and his, her pastor's daughter. And she sends her this little $5 gift card. And every year we almost anticipate it coming. We're so grateful for it. It's so thoughtful. It's so sweet. Especially because I know that's a pretty big gift for this wonderful woman. My daughter's went off to college. And I came walking in one evening and my wife goes, look at the counter. Look what someone gave your daughter and guess who it was. And I looked at the counter and on the counter was a grocery. I mean, like it, it looked like a grocery order of stuff. I mean, from medicine to different things, anything you need in a college dorm room. I went, who did that? I wish I could have taken credit for it. Dad did that. Yeah. She said, so-and-so did. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. I've shared it with three audiences and let them know this is unbelievable. This blew our mind. Like, can, can she do it? Can she? We were so blessed by this, so blown away by that gift. And I continue to talk about it. Why? Because it's remarkable. It's striking. It's worth making note of. And in a society that is spending its evenings arguing around dinner tables, fighting with family members, talking about mitigation, talking about struggles, talking about things, and, and people are just dying inside. It's getting to the point where there's some people like, are you guys going to be talking about that all night? I don't know. No, all right, well, I'm out of here. I can't even do that anymore. In a time period where things are unremarkable, it's so refreshing to hear remarkable stories. And they're coming out of our Ridge Road place. Revivals is full of remarkable stories. We're serving foods, and we like to joke, we're starting to compete a little bit with Chick-fil-A in the length of our lines. Now, now even Starbucks. I mean, that's a long, the lines are getting longer. Everybody, and, and you know what? During the time they pull into that drive-thru, which we're about to go hybrid as Adam announced, and we're going to serve inside and outside because the drive-thru has been so effective. Our volunteers come up to the side of the car and they talk to them. And there's only a short window and, and, and it doesn't last long. And I see sometimes our volunteers walking with their car. How are you doing? Is there anything we can be praying for you for? And these people share their prayer because they make the most of every opportunity in that drive. We've got block parties that go out into the community and you guys have been hosting them in your developments and you're going around telling people in your community, come and hear about the love of Christ and see something different. It's remarkable. We were able to partner with high schools like Penridge High School and offer resources classes after school for kids who are struggling with the different aspects of how schooling has to be right now. What a difficult time for you teachers if you're out there. What a difficult time. Yet there's something still going on so remarkable over at Revivals and the food that keeps going out. And now... Be excited because they're getting ready for their big benefit night. We're going to host it here at the church just because of the state of society. We probably feel it's best to be here. We were going to be in a different venue, but we're having Michael Jr. come. We're going to laugh with a purpose is the theme of the night, but he's got a huge heart for our ministry. We're thankful for that as a brother in Christ.
And we're working on projects like even our portico where our volunteers will stand and not get pummeled the entire time they're out there. And an opportunity for us to continue our drive-through ministry because we are even collecting back-to-school needs for kids who can't afford it for a couple area schools that have asked us to do that. Fill up backpacks for kids. That's all going on at Revival. It's remarkable. Oh, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And he says, can we talk about how you talk too? What? Let your speech, let your speech, he says, be always gracious. The idea of the word gracious means to, to give somebody unmerited favor. It's, in other words, something they don't deserve. Let your speech, which we can also translate conversations, let your conversations always be in such a way the person doesn't even deserve to be talked to that way. They didn't even earn my kindness towards them. And don't confuse kindness with niceness. I can be nice to people I don't like. Hey, how you doing, man? Yeah, that's good, right? But to be kind to somebody is to wish goodness into their life. <laughs> Remarkable behavior guards its conversations that they might be gracious and then seasoned with salt. Now, for all of you who struggle with your heart a little bit, that might not have the power for some of us. Being somebody who does have to be careful with salt, I, I, I listen to that with, with a, a, a slight hesitancy. But I want to remind you how the ancients, as they would look at this during the ancient time periods, would have looked at salt, okay? Even up into the time of Jesus. Salt was remarkable. It, it was extremely valuable. Did you know Roman soldiers were paid a salary at times with salt? Yeah, you actually knew this. If you've ever heard the phrase, that guy is worth his salt, that's where that comes from, from paying Roman soldiers with salt. It was that valuable. You know what? Salt is essential. It's extremely, in fact, it became such a major trade commodity during the time of Jesus that they would use, make roads so they would get the salt to people because it was such an enhancer of preserving foods. Salt was extremely beneficial. It was medicinal in aspects. Even some of you are in love with the effects of Epsom salt, right? I mean, people understand how important salt is, but salt's more than all that. Salt's remarkable. It's a crazy. Salt softens water. I, I got a, a couple ladies in the house who go, the shower, the water's getting hard at the sink. The water's getting hard. Can you put some salt in? I put salt in. It's amazing. The water actually does Soften. So there's an aspect of salt that softens things. It purifies things. It melts things. We use it for ice here at the church to make sure we don't fall down coming in in the winter. It enhances things. You ever hear the phrase, hey, let's go to that restaurant. I mean, you can't mess up breakfast, right, guys? You can't mess up breakfast. And even if you do, grab the salt and pepper and fix breakfast, right? I mean, we're used to putting salt on things. So my speech is to be valuable. You have no idea how much it encourages me when someone walks away from a conversation I've had with them and say, Chris, thank you, man. I really needed to talk to you. This was awesome. Like, yeah, you made me feel like something I said was valuable to you. Oh, man, I just knew if I had a chance to talk to you, you'd straighten me out. You had a chance to feel essential there. 
Is the way I talk remarkable? Does it soften the conversation I'm currently in when I speak? Does it purify the conversation I'm currently in when I speak? Does it, does it melt hearts to say, hey, let's have some empathy when I speak? Paul says, I want your speech to be gracious as seasoned with salt. Jesus doubles down. He says, you are the salt of the earth, children of God. You are the enhancer here. But, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? When you lose an opportunity with somebody over unsalty speech, sometimes they never give you the time of day again. Jesus says, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You say, I don't understand that. Let me add some context. The salt of that time period was a little bit different. They didn't evaporate uh, seawater to make it that pure white form that we know, but instead it came from marshes, all right? And it had all sorts of impurities in it. And sometimes if those impurities got damp, the salt was no good. They would take the salt, walk it outside, keep the verse in mind as I do this, and they'd throw it into the street. It's waste. It's pointless. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Don't blow the opportunities to be salty. You say, oh, Chris, that's abstract. What, what does salty speech look like? Give, give, me, give me some verses in scripture. Well, salty conversations are guarded conversations. Proverbs 13.3 says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Salty conversations are timely. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Have you ever gotten an encouragement note or text or just somebody said something right at the right time? It was unbelievably timely. That was salty conversation. It's gracious. The wise at heart are called discerning and gracious words promote instruction. They're also encouraging. Oh, I bet you have it memorized. Ephesians 4.21, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouths, but only such as good as building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. See, Paul is calling us to have remarkable conduct that people see. That's, that's, that's wow. But he's also asking us to have remarkable, here it is, con. Conversations. The way we talk, people should be like, wow, that was a really different conversation. I had a chance to have a breakfast at a local restaurant. The waitress overheard me talking with another family in our church that was across the way, not even who I was having breakfast with. They were so taken back by our conversation. They asked where we went to church. They informed, the, the couple informed them that that was actually one of the pastors at our church. But they wanted to hear more about the faith and hope we were speaking of. It was awesome. And we didn't mean that. We were just talking back and forth and somebody was listening. Oh, I hope my conversations are remarkable as well. How many of you are being this intentional with how you talk? There's a pastor down in Washington, D.C. There's a few opinions down there being a pastor, okay? And one of the things he goes through is how he can share the gospel with people who sometimes um, have an elite mindset, or sometimes don't have a coachable mindset. And he's like, I've already had a chance with him. I'm thinking, how can I do this again? And he derived a plan in his conversations to open the door for sharing the gospel. Here's, here's what he did. He came up with a thing he asked people. He says this, you know I'm a Christian, right? 
Have you ever gone, I want to share the gospel with my work, co-worker, but I just don't know how to do this? Listen to what he does. This is brilliant. You know I'm a Christian, right? And, and they're like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, we've heard that. Even if they haven't, he can say that. And then he goes on this. He says, hey, I share my faith a lot with people. And um, I need someone to hear me out to tell me how it comes across. And I just need you to give me some feedback. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna share. And would you just give me some feedback? Do I sound a little crazy? Where, where is it like, oh, that's interesting. I just want you to hear me out. So you know I'm a Christian, right? Yeah, would you give me some feedback? Just maybe we go out to Starbucks, go out coffee, wherever you wanna go and, and, and talk about that. And they, he says, they'll go, sure. And they look at it as an opportunity, right? And he starts sharing. He goes, they stopped me. Well, I mean, what do you mean by that? Oh, here's what I mean. He goes, it's unbelievable. I get an opportunity for the gospel by simply saying, you know, I'm a Christian, right? Hey, could I just share my faith and you give me some feedback and tell me if I sound a certain way? This is, this is so intentional. This is so abnormal. When I read about it, I had to share it on a Sunday. Why? Because it's remarkable. It's striking. It's worth making note of. Oh man, let your conversations be remarkable. Let your conduct be remarkable. And then Paul finishes. So that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Everyone? Paul, you want me to be able to answer everyone? Yeah, I want you to be able to answer everyone. Let me add something. Let me add a layer. Many of you scholars, you know the New Testament. We, ha- we take it from Greek, right? So this is a Greek word underneath this everyone. It carries the idea of so that you may know how to answer everyone specifically. Hey, any parents out there, you notice how all of your children are different, right? And how you parented one doesn't necessarily work with the other, you know? I'll give you another heads up. If your child has your wife's or your husband's personality, the more you coach them like you would your husband or wife, the more they'll respond. Why? Because they have similarities in how they hear things. One child, it might be, come on, man, you got this. And, and they go, yeah. And then, or you go, come on, you got this. No, I don't. And, and your wife's like, what's wrong with you? Right, right? Because we want to know how to answer each one specifically. How many of you, you've got a friend who comes from Mormonism and they got some questions about your faith? Or you got a friend who, who, who has some, some, some different views because they've come from maybe Catholicism. Or, or maybe you've got a, a charismatic type leaning friend and they're like, why are you like Baptist and stuff? And like, you got all these conversations and like, I just want help with this. I thought, what if we put a series together where not only we're talking about being remarkable, but I pour apologetics into it so that we grow in defending our faith so that we might know how to answer everyone. Oh, they thought they trapped Jesus. They said, Jesus, in the kingdom, who will be the greatest? And Jesus knows what these guys are looking for. It's a little bit of a pride trip. And so what does he do? The great apologist goes, hey, come here, buddy. And this little kid comes running over to him. We don't know how big. Comes running over to him. I'm sure he got down. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Disciples want to talk about who's the greatest. And this master teacher, with them all watching, you're looking at a child who's dependent and vulnerable and has to submit and has to do things that the adults say in their life, right? Right? And they look really down on children in that society. And he says, hey, you want to be great? You want to be great? And they're all staring at Jesus' object lesson. You guys want to be great? I want you to become like a child. But I 
want to be right. I want you to become like a child. But I want people to hear my... I want you to become like a child. But I want this. It's soft to do that. I'll tell you what. If you want the world to clap for you, go ahead. But if you want my applause, become like this little kid. And everybody walked out of there getting a lesson on faith because Jesus knew how to answer everyone specifically. Peter tells us, we got to live like this. He watched that. Many people feel that might have been Peter's kid because Peter was married and Jesus was always around Peter. And who knows, maybe it was Peter's little boy or little girl who was on Jesus' knee. Peter writes, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. I want you to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. People sometimes say, hey, how come I'm a little more like out in the streets, like, hey, you're going to young? Because I'm called to do things with gentleness and respect. I try to treat people how I would want to be treated. You understand, respect is a two-way street. If you want respect, you have to give respect. If I disrespect somebody, how on earth can I possibly ask them for respect back? And if I treat them with gentleness, there's a better chance for a conversation to be salty. But, but Peter says something that's astounding. And, and I don't know how many of you enjoy John Piper, but I love when he talks. It's just so calming, but it's also so intense. And he says, I read that verse and I ask myself a haunting question. When is the last time someone asked about the hope I have? Can I ask you, child of God? When's the last time somebody went, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? What? Hey, I was, you know, how come you got this hope? How come you got this hope? If you haven't been asked that, there's a chance that your conduct and your conversations aren't remarkable. They're noted they're recorded, but they're not remarkable. Peter is saying, live in such a way that is striking. Well, how can I be ready and ought to answer? Well, well, apologists know something. They're one, ambassadors. Paul says in Ephesians, pray that I might speak the words and I might do it fearlessly, making known the mystery of the gospel, which I'm ambassador in chains. They're contenders. Jude says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once for all was entrusted to God's holy people. And they're defenders. First Peter says, be prepared to give a defense. And one of my goals in first Peter is to use it to give us different ways that we can navigate the world's questions so that we can win an argument Heavens no. In fact, one of the great apologists that I really enjoy is writing. His name is, um, go ahead, one slide. We're going to pull this up, Greg Kokel. His name is Greg Kokel. He writes, we want to be on the offensive without being offensive. Our goal is to be on the offensive without being offensive. He says, for example, for example, I'll give you one note that I'm going to do in the rest of the series. He says, many believers, somebody will come up to him and go, I don't really believe in the Bible. It's got all these like myths and stuff. And we believers think, I need to have a seven-page outline and prove them wrong. And, and then we're all on the defensive. I've got to be ready for that. I'm not ready for that. I didn't go to Bible college. I don't want to talk about my faith. But when you understand just a few, and he writes a book called Tactics. There's another, another amazing, amazing 
guy who does a lot of detective work, and he took on the apologetics through the eyes of defending what he saw. He's been on TV, he's been on multiple TV shows you're familiar with. I'm gonna leverage some of him on how he attacks it. But, but simply put, one of Kokel's best plans is to tell believers, hey, just ask the question back to them. What? I don't believe the Bible, it's all full of myths and stuff. Just simply say, where did you get that view? How did you come to that conclusion? Is there anything wrong? Is there anything mean about that question? Not at all. I want to collect some facts. How did you come to that point of view? So instead of you being on the defensive, you go back on the offensive without being offensive. How did you come to that? You will find many people's arguments do not have a defense. It's simply an opinion or a frustration, and most people's frustrations with the things of God come from a place of hurt and wounds. We want to have remarkable, here it is, clarifications. Clarifications. Ways to defend our faith without hurting people's feelings. I can tell when someone's talking to me, they go straight to name calling. I know what I'm dealing with. it's It's a method it's a method in going back and forth. But when you go straight to name calling, you've dropped to the bottom of a conversation. And you can work your way out of that child of God. If you know what you believe, it gives you great strength. I got a brother in Christ. He said, Chris, I used to be so scared. And I had so much anxiousness about people. And like, I'm nervous about them attacking my faith. And I found out it wasn't because um, I couldn't defend it. It's because I couldn't defend it for myself. Apologetics, I found as I studied, I spent a year and now I walk into conversations with great strength and not mean, I'm, I'm actually quite kind, but I have strength that I've got from learning how to defend and contend for my faith. It's built up my own faith. How many of you would love that story? It's gonna come from having remarkable clarification. So, so let's sum it up. Let's sum it up. We've been called to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use, what? Redeeming, redeeming the time. We wanna make the most of the time. So we wanna have remarkable, write it in your notes, remarkable conduct. That is the goal of this passage. Then it's not that only, we're told that it is, let your speech be gracious. Treat people in ways that they don't even deserve. Season with salt. That means I want it to be essential. I want it to benefit them. I want it to be remarkable. I want to have remarkable, we're going to write it down, conversations. But not only that, when someone asks for the hope that's in us, we want to be able to know how to answer everyone, even if it's where they're currently at, what they come from. And so we want remarkable, let's write it down, clarifications. What if you had a church that was committed to those three things? That's why we're calling our series Remarkable. We're gonna open the book of 1 Peter next week. We're gonna walk through it. And I want you to engage in this so much and because I believe you learn better when you write things down and I can't give you all a remarkable pen that writes on televisions, I wanted you to have something to talk about. We're gonna give you on the way out a First and Second Peter journal 
We want you to take this so you can bring it back during the series. And in it, you will be able to write all over it. I've got, I've got young people who take voracious notes. We have senior saints who take awesome notes. You have a Bible and you don't want to use it. That's fine. Bring your Bible. But we want you to interact with this so much that the truth that we desperately need just penetrates your soul this fall. We want you to get excited because we believe a church that is living remarkable, in fact, calling it the remarkable church, will be striking and different. And we'll have to give a defense for what we believe and hope in. It will be a place that will, people won't be at because the conversations will be seasoned with salt. So I want to give you a challenge this week. I want you to do something remarkable in conduct. Figure out something. Our leadership has gotten so into this. I was at a board meeting, we were talking about benevolence and oh, it's so awesome to hear the hearts of your leaders and how they want to give to people who are hurting. And somebody was offering, like, let's give them this. And somebody said, we could give them that, but that's, is that remarkable? And we all laughed. And we ended up doing something remarkable. And it was awesome. And I'm talking about it today because of it. What's something you could do remarkable in conduct this week? How about in your conversations? Is there any remarkable conversation? What if it's just something you don't do? When I was a youth pastor, I challenged the teenagers one time at a youth event. I said, hey, tomorrow, it was Wednesday night. I said, tomorrow, Thursday, try not to complain all day. Who you think can do it? We literally had kids say out loud, not me. <laughs> I can't. I hate school. All right, all right. We're for one day, we're going to try not to complain and see how much that changes our conversation. Some of us might not have anything to talk about. Remarkable. And then clarifications. Join us in this series as we grow. We want you to get in your calendar. We get tonight. We get tonight. We're going to be telling you even more remarkable things the church is planning over the next few years. Why? Because we want to fill you with hope. You say, I don't even know if we're going to be around two or three years. That'd be great. But I want the Lord to catch me doing something for him when he does return. Amen? And so we want to share a little bit about what God's been leading us to do. Could you mark on your calendars membership? Those of you who just joined us and everything, on October 4th, we're having our membership night. It's called We Get Tonight. It's going to be worship, some snacks, and I'm going to be giving an update on a lot of our vision that's coming up that we've been working on and been having trouble communicating to you through the past year and a half, but want to give you a reset and want to let you hear it. And because we know many people are kind of newer to our church, our church has been growing like crazy, we want to invite you to attend that night if you also like to too. So watch the registrations. You wouldn't be able to vote that night, but we'd love to have you. Just listen in and be a part of it. Maybe this way you can get some affirmation that this is a church you find is remarkable or if you find us miserable, we'll, we'll pray we get better. But we wanna be a place that communicates that. And one of the things we wanna update with you on, we know we're having a little bit of a struggle in our house with seating and arrangements. And a lot of you have been really gracious, okay? And going in the fall, I understand the state of the country too. I don't know how many challenges we'll have. But God's really been blessing here. And many of you heard even a year and a half ago, we planned to knock out that back wall, right? A lot of you heard that. Well, we want to give you an update on that October 4th about some of that as well. Um, because we, we have gotten some, some movement on that. In fact, we just got a rendering of what it would look like with a wall cut out and a stadium seating in that many of you heard about a year and a half ago. And, and, and when you see an artist renting, it gives you just a little idea of what we're talking about. This is what we'll be talking about that night. I'll, I'll give you a little taste. That's the same room, okay? And um, that's with the stadium seating in the back. So for some of you are like, what does that even look like? Okay, th th that's an idea, all right? And now that I have my remarkable pen, we can cross you out. We can add people. It's great. No, I'm not, that, we're not gonna do that. That is not, stop, stop that. 
but, but we believe this will be an opportunity for us to really continue to pour the truth into people without going just I go or all that crazy stuff. Guys, we believe that God has a big plan for this fall. And who knows? Maybe the plane is going to touch down soon for us children of God. Maybe we are almost home. There's a lot of indicators that we might just be. So all the more reason for us to walk in wisdom, make the most of our time, let our conversations be seasoned with salt, that we might know how to answer about the hope we have. This week, what could you do remarkable in conduct, conversation, or clarification? Because who doesn't want to be around somebody who goes, boop, hey, I know work's been tough lately. Hey, I know school's sometimes hard. Hey, it is horrific you lost your home. But I'm going to tell you, in this world, we will have trouble. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Heavenly Father, thank you for being remarkable. As they spit in your face, as they punched you in the sides, as you crawled with a cross on your back up Golgotha's hill, despite all the power you had, Despite the ability to call down myriads of angels, you chose instead to allow them to throw those spikes into your hands and hammer them down. And you did it for people like me. How dare I live selfishly when I've been given so much? Lord, may I live a life that you approve of. And may I follow my Savior, who is remarkable, and do it so myself. In Jesus' name, amen.